Hello, and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings, and every episode I have the distinct privilege of presenting E.C. with a question on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life by exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result. We aim to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you, as always, for plugging in. And how are you doing, E.C.? Good. How are you? Great. Today, we're going to return to our quick bites. Quick bites is our excuse to take some listener questions and get your thoughts on some topics that maybe are certainly worth talking about and questions worth answering, but maybe not quite the deep dive that we tend to do on full episodes. And so in the past, I think the last couple quick bites, we've tried to get, gosh, seven or eight questions in. I think we're going to narrow it a little bit to keep us from the 45 to 50 minute episodes. So we're going to, I think we're going to try to do five. So I can only shorten my answers so much, Patrick. Seriously. So we're going to, we're going to lessen the number of questions. So we're going to try to do like five questions, five-ish minutes each. So we'll see how that goes this time around. For folks who want to submit a question, the best way to do it is to make sure you're on the Optimize Me Nutrition newsletter list. EC will send out a call for questions or you can just respond to an email and, and she'll get it. So that's the best way to do it. Before we get into the five questions that we got today. We've got some good ones. We talked about a little bit last episode. You're launching a new members-only site, members.optimizemenutrition.com. Tell the peoples about what they can find there. Yeah. So I've been doing kind of bonus content to my email list and my email list will continue to have valuable content in it. But some of the more deeper dives that I've been doing kind of in a video format, that's going to be going towards the member site in addition to another Q&A where we'll stream live so we can have a little bit more interaction, but that way you can also get your questions answered that way. And I do see that the site will continue to grow over time with what the community wants, but I think it's for the people that appreciate kind of the deeper dives and more of the nuance. And so that's where you can find me at members.optimizemenutrition.com. But first month is free. Awesome. So if you are a coach, a nutritionist, MD, a nurse, anybody in a position to need to know more than eat 800 grams of fruit and vegetables or fruit and vegetables a day. I really think that this is going to be good for you. So optimize or rather members.optimizemenutrition.com to learn more. Okay. Quick bites, quick bites, quick bites, quick bites. First question is from Valerie. I would like to see a podcast or part of one. Well, good for you, Valerie, you're getting what you want. (laughs) Dedicated to talking about the relationship between weight and body fat. On many of your podcasts, you have spoken a lot about reducing weight she has weight in air quotes as the goal, but does that actually mean reducing body fat? If someone is heavier, is a heavier weight for their height, i.e. in terms of BMI, they are at the top of the normal range or at the bottom of the overweight range, but has a low body fat percentage, is there still a risk to them in terms of their weight or should they be satisfied and considered healthy because their body fat percentage is low? Yeah. Yeah. Super common question. I think it also dovetails with the question I also get that you know, what's my ideal weight or what, mm. what is the ideal weight? Right. And it reminds me, this question reminds me of my principle five, where, you know, that principle says it's never one thing. And most often I do use that principle to explain nutrients. Like it's never just vitamin B12 or it's never just about carbohydrates, but it, yeah. it does also work when we're looking at kind of health markers or even how to look at goals in terms of, let's say performance. Right. But so, yeah, in terms of these health markers, it's never one health marker. It's it's never just weight that is going to determine whether or not you are healthy. Instead, there's a collection of health markers that determine your health and, and weight is one of them. And so that's why trying to find, 
you know, what is an ideal weight or tell me the healthy weight for my height. Absent of looking at those other factors is sort of just a futile task. Mm. Now, as Valerie noted, and I'm sympathetic to this, there can be somebody who is heavy in terms of their weight and, and have a high BMI, yet they are very lean or have a low body fat percentage. Now, to make sure that we understand what BMI is, BMI is body mass index. That's a ratio of your weight to your height squared. And BMI is routinely used by your doctor. This is how they're going to determine whether you're normal weight, overweight, or obese. And this is what they do to help assign risk. Now, we have to remember that's one of the factors that they're looking at to determine your overall risk. And and I think people, and I've heard it before, so I'm not calling out Valerie here, but people will, in the CrossFit community, especially get bent out of shape about BMI and just, oh, it's a worthless marker, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's just not accurate for muscular lean people. And again, using myself as an example, I'm at the very high end of normal, if not already in the overweight category, according to BMI, yet I'm 16% body fat, which is which is lower than kind of what a, the healthy women's standard, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the thing, though, like we can't get so worked up about just one number because we know that my entire health picture, anyone's entire health picture is is more than just this BMI number. Like I already know that I'm muscular and lean, so I'm already kind of applying this knowledge to that number. And that's how we find the right tool for the right job. Like BMI is actually a really good metric because guess what? Most people walking into the doctor's office are not muscular and lean crossfitters. So it's like, we can't just throw out the entire tool because it's been used in so many studies. It's been associated with a lot of health risk and applies to a huge percentage of the population that you just happen not to be one of. So there is that to keep in mind. Like there is a bigger context there. And if you have an understanding of that bigger context, yes, definitely apply that knowledge to understand your health risk. Now, I do like that Valerie has picked up on the fact that I use the weight, the term weight very frequently when I'm talking in podcast. And that is a little bit of shorthand a bit. Like when people say they want to lose weight, I think the implicit understanding is they actually want to lose fat. Right. Mm. Like, and so I give my recommendations in light of that, you know, when people come to you and they say, I want to tone up or lean out, it's sort of implicit that they actually want to lose fat. I've never had anybody who's like, let's decrease my muscle mass and increase the fat. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of just implicit that people want to lose fat when they say they want to lose weight. So perhaps I could get more precise in my, my terminology of when I talk about reducing weight, it's actually reducing fat. But I think a little bit we're splitting hairs here, right? Because when somebody loses fat, they all are also reducing their weight. But anyway, so there's a little bit of that. I also want to point out, though, that, that this doesn't make weight totally irrelevant. I think it's most relevant to the individual looking at relative changes on their own in time, mm-hmm. meaning like my weight might be high or at the high end of what it should be for my weight, of course, because of CrossFit and adding some muscle mass. So maybe that's not super relevant when I look, compare me to a population, but that is relevant when I'm looking to what's happening to me over the course of a month. Like if I gain five pounds, doesn't matter if my baseline's 150 or 200. If I gain five pounds in a month, I'm, I'm willing to bet that it's not lean mass mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm probably adding some fat and going in the wrong direction, right? Now, Valerie might be thinking, well, why not just say that, right? Why not just say we're measuring body fat percentage or you're looking at your body fat? Some of its accessibility, right? Like 
monitoring weight and and how your genes fit or how you look in the mirror is probably going to give people the knowledge that they have to do without necessarily going to the dunk tank for the body fat percentage (laughs) or or finding somebody who's really skilled in calipers for those measurements. So I think sometimes using weight and kind of your reflection in your mirror or how your clothes fit is going to give you kind of that best an equal assessment for all intents and purposes as something that's more precise. So Finally, kind of like what I want to add on that is it's not even though just getting, you know, your weight and then understanding body composition and BMI, like even that, even though that's a better picture than just looking at weight or just looking at BMI, it's still not the full picture of health because she asked, like, can that person be considered healthy? Of course, I'd rather know all of those things than just one of them, but I'd rather know even more than that. Meaning, if I really want to classify your health risk, I'd also want to look at, fasting glucose and mm-hmm. cholesterol and blood pressure and triglycerides. And, and I'd even love to throw a physical task in there. What's your deadlift? How many pull-ups you have? You know, the more information, the better. And the more that those numbers fall in the normal or, or better than normal range, the lower your risk is. And then that person decides if, okay, I'm okay with that level of risk. And that's how you really determine if somebody's healthy. It's the collection of markers. We have different markers where we have certain targets and we look where we, rel- where we fall relative to them. And so, yeah, it's kind of up to the individual to look across the collection of all of these things and determine what's their level of risk. To put this back in context for me, it's like, yeah, all my markers are good, if not in the you know ideal range or whatever it is. I exercise, I have a good amount of fitness, I sleep, I eat a whole, whole foods diet, as you know. I have no clinical symptoms, no clinical pictures of like problems that I'm trying to have my doctor solve, and my BMI might be in the overweight range. So guess what? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's good for me. That's good enough for me, and I consider myself at low risk. And so that's why I would encourage Valerie to do is kind of take that bigger picture, not just BMI, not just even body fat percentage. But hey, what's the diet look like? What's the yeah. exercise look like? What are the other markers look like? And then, you know, make the decision for herself whether or not she's falling in that healthy range. Yeah. I think it's so much harder to to recognize or to admit to ourselves that like the one number isn't as helpful as we want it to be, right? And that could be BMI, it could be a lot for a lot of folks, it's the number on the scale, right? It's a factor, it's a data point, but it just requires so much more work then we often want to put in to say, okay, well, where is my fitness? Like all of these things, like there is, it's so much easier to just say, what's the one number that's the most important number. And I'm just going to focus on that. That's going to be the most important thing. And if that's good, then I'm good. Right. And I just think it'd be nice if there was just a singular, I don't know what to call it, but a health number. Right. But Mm -hmm. there isn't, there isn't one that takes into all the, into consideration, all of the things that you just laid out. Two things on that. One is, and I've said this story a lot, but I I just like it. I I had a woman who wrote to me, she did the 800 gram challenge with her gym and she wasn't pleased with me because she gained weight. (laughs) And I was, I explained, well, you know, we didn't control for all the factors. So these things could have happened, all of that stuff. And then turns out she also got her body composition done a few days later and it found found out that she'd actually lost fat, increased muscle mass Mm. in just four weeks. And so then she wrote me back another email and was pleasantly surprised with the results. And so I sometimes think that what seem, what might seem easier, like by having this one number also means you might not actually have the full picture. You might be coming to an incorrect conclusion. And so that was a nice surprise to learn that, you know, even in just four weeks, she, she had actually improved her body composition instead Mm -hmm. of just adding fat. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I wanted to mention, this one number, is that some of what CrossFit was trying to do is trying to do with their definition of health is mm. look at fitness over time. And I think it is a really elegant solution 
to that, you know, they want to say that that you want to have a quality of life, not just good health markers. Like I don't really care what, and this is sort of mentioned the biohacking podcast. I don't really care what my fasting glucose is if I don't have death and disease. Right. And so this right. is sort of what they were get or are getting at with that. I just don't know that it outperforms kind of looking at the collection of markers that we use on a daily basis anyway. Right. Like I think mm -hmm. it's an elegant answer, but I don't know if it's any more easy than your doctor looking at the five things that get measured every year anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. All right. Next question is from Liz. As background, I'm a PE teacher who teaches a junior-senior strength training class, which is kind of awesome. I have a precision nutrition certificate or certification, and I have taken your master class, but I struggle with where to start on the topic of nutrition with my students. They are very interested in the topic and ask lots of great questions, but they're limited in what groceries they have in the house, and they typically eat out or grab Starbucks often. If you could teach three nutrition lessons to high school kids age 16 to 17, what three topics would you cover? I've spoken about starting small and adding something to your day, like fruits, veggies, water, or lean protein. I've talked about taking out small things like one less juice or soda a day. I think they're ready for a little bit more depth and info. I am struggling with where to go from here. Any advice would be very helpful and much appreciated. Yeah, well, I mean, I love that Liz is starting small. That's always a great place to start. And I love that yeah. she also has this awareness that they're not totally in control of what they eat or what's available. Mm. So those yep. are those are awesome. Awesome. I think the first thing that I would do with them is actually do the 800 gram challenge, especially at that age. I think people underestimate what kids and teenagers need calorically. They're still growing, so they need quite more greater number of calories than people think. And assuming that they aren't hmm. completely sedentary, they're going to be very close to the caloric averages, if not higher than I give for women and men all the time of 2000 and 2500 calories respectively. So a 500 calories coming in from the 800 gram challenge, it can definitely be done by these age teenagers. And, you know, in terms of the 800 gram challenge, as long as you're not marketing for it or profiting off, it, it's like an idea that you're sharing with your students in your, in your class, you, you can use the idea with them. Now, the thing that I would change is for the reasons that you've already sort of mentioned, that they're not totally in control of things and also because of their age, is I wouldn't make it like today, tomorrow, everybody is now eating 800 grams of fruits and vegetables or they get a D, you know? <laughs> and I don't think Liz would do that. But the idea yeah. is do this more in like an observation way than we're getting points in a signing value way. And I also mm. wouldn't try to do a ton with the scale because they might not have that or their parents might think that that's too intrusive. This is where they can do kind of the six cups variation, right? Did you eat six fists full of fruits and veggies a day? And, and I think that's a great place to start. And it's again, Hey, like maybe we try to get to six, but it's more of let's see where you fall naturally and then share lessons learned. Like, how did you end up getting to six? You know, and somebody like, well, I got the banana at Starbucks instead of the yep. yogurt or something like that. And I think there'll yep. be a lot of fun stuff there, but from more of that observation approach than, than a challenge and points approach. So that would be one. Step two would just be, again, doing the same thing with lazy macros, adding that protein target. But it, it wouldn't be, you know, everyone's doing 0.7 grams per pound of body weight or, you know, you don't get the points or whatever. Instead, it's probably like, hey, let's start tracking what protein sources we eat each day. And we're going to look at the grams in each. And then maybe what you do is help them understand how protein and turkey is different than protein in a protein bar, right? And it's not with the sense of judgment, it's sense of, oh, okay, this one I got five grams and this one I got 30 grams. Okay, you know, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it can just be from that sort of lens. I think the thing also to point out is that even at that age, the RDA for protein is 71 grams. So you could, you could very comfortably recommend that. You're gonna find some people, especially athletes, are gonna be higher than that, and that's okay. 
but hey, did we even hit 71 grams of protein today? And like share again, lessons learned. How did you get to 71? Oh, I got jerky at Starbucks instead of, you know, Mm -hmm. the cookie or something like that. So I think that would be step two. It's just taking those ideas, but then actually having them apply it to life with less of a challenge leaderboard idea and more of an observation learning idea. And the final one I think would be a cool project. And I don't know exactly how she could fit it in, but I'm sure she'll, she'll come up with a way, but somehow teach this idea of food versus nutrient composition. You know, we need to eat on a physiological basis, protein, fat, carbs to some degree, fiber, vitamins, and minerals, but that's not how we eat. Like we don't sit down to a plate of vitamin A, right? We sit down (laughs) to carrots (laughs) or we don't sit down to like just powder for protein sometimes, but we sit down to a steak or something like that. Maybe in the future we'll be sitting down. (laughs) I know, maybe, (laughs) maybe. We've got a lot of things to work out for that to work because supplements aren't, aren't doing the trick yet, Patrick. But yeah, so I think kind of going through some examples at first with them, like, oh, okay, well we need vitamin A. Like how would somebody do that, you know, and then maybe look up the information for carrots and and figure out, okay, for them to get 100% of their vitamin A, they would have to eat this many carrots. Like, does that work in terms of a daily diet? No. Okay. Mm. Well, let's look at another food and, and try to start playing that out. But I think what would be really cool is after you kind of explain the concept of, hey, we need these different nutrients in certain amounts, is take the guidelines for their age group, which are freely available in the USDA new guidelines 2020, and say, okay, You guys put together a meal that hits the right number of calories, protein, carbs, fat, and maybe just pick a few nutrients. Like they're not going to do all 28 vitamins and minerals, but pick like, I don't know, vitamin C, iron, potassium, magnesium. Mm -hmm. Okay. You guys put together a meal or, or a meal plan for a day that hits all of these things, that gets the right level of protein, that gets the right level of carbs and all that stuff. They're going to have to look at the nutrition labels of all these foods. And what's cool about this, this exercise is I have a feeling they're going to come up with a a day's diet that has a good amount of whole foods (laughs) so that they hit all of these standards, including something like Mm -hmm. potassium or iron and magnesium, good amount of whole foods, but not perfect. And I think there's a huge value there, right? They're learning that putting together a good diet is kind of like a game of Tetris and that Mm. there are also no absolutes that, yeah, they can get their favorite snack in that day and it can work out just fine. And yes, they can also have fruits and vegetables and it will just be just fine too. Where were you when I was a teenager? Because I didn't do any of those things. I didn't do any of that either. And I think, you know, I think it's going to come up in a later question, but it's just so interesting is like nutrition comes down to how much we're eating of this in terms of calories, macros, and micros. And yet that's the exact process that we try to avoid all the time doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have lots of questions, but maybe we could do a whole episode on somewhere inside of that. Because I think that's, I think a lot of what you said is really fascinating. I don't want to derail our attempt at a relatively short quick which i've already by, derailed <laughs> yeah which we've already derailed but so yes putting it out there into the universe maybe we'll do a teens or kids slash teens kind of focused cool. nutrition episode at some point next question is from gene i'm a functional fitness enthusiast full-time md and parent so limited to about an hour and a half of training five to six times a week i worked with a personal nutritionist who had my macro split at 40 30 30 proteins carbs and fat and around 2400 calories a day with the hopes of putting on muscle that's about 220 grams of protein or so per day at 144 pounds and with an estrogen dominant uh, non-binary assigned female at birth. It's way over the max, one gram per pound of body weight you cite for even your highest volume athletes. The 200 grams or so target seems consistent in the bodybuilding sources I've looked into. Any thoughts? I would love to use those calories for more fruit. I eat 800 grams easily every day, but feel bad for neglecting protein. 
Yes, we'll keep the 800 grams going for sure. But yeah, to me, off the cuff, that's high. I mean, I just... Mm. 220 grams of protein. My God, I couldn't do it. I just don't see the need, you know, and I know that's what bodybuilder sites cite and that's what top end bodybuilders are doing and probably some CrossFitters depending on their volume and and level of proficiency. But, you know, it always comes back to context. And in the intro, Gene describes himself as a functional fitness enthusiast with a lot of other life demands, right? And so I just don't see that the one gram is really the appropriate level here. You know, one of the reasons that I chose this magic 0.7 gram multiplier is, and there is research that found that that was the upper end at which protein mass was added on for resistance trained individuals. Now, these people weren't professional elite bodybuilders, but they were people that were regularly training. And it was like, hey, at what dose does protein stop helping them gain more muscle mass? And and 0.7 was it. Now, do I think that's truly the number forever and ever? No, but I think it's a great place to be that also has been tested in real life. Yep. So I think I think Gene would be okay being at that level. Is there harm in doing this, you know, higher level? No, you know, typically calories up to 35% attributed to protein is just fine. I mean, if anything, I think the harm in a diet like that is they tend not to get the fruits and veggies when they have that much protein. Like the diet just becomes like shakes, bars, and steak, and it's just like, okay, <laughs> now we're sort yeah. of... <laughs> sort of missing missing the point here by just focusing on protein. So, you know, in, in isolation, that level of protein isn't a problem per se. I just think the rest of the diet suffers because of it. But I think really for Gene, the, the best return on investment is, is not necessarily going to be with that protein number, but it's looking at the training and figuring out whether or not that's truly maximized. And, you know, I think that's where the bigger payout is going to be. Like, I love nutrition, but if as a functional fitness enthusiast, if you're lifting in the weights that would be considered kind of beginner to intermediate, and I don't mean by numbers of years, I mean by actual weights lifted compared to mm-hmm. like, you know, strength charts that are that are out there, you have more to gain from your training than changing your protein multiplier, right? And and we just see that over time. We see that over time with CrossFit. I've seen that over time with CrossFit. I mean, you got to lift heavy. You got to do a lot of reps. You got to do it for a long period of time. And this is why we see some pretty drastic changes in physiques with the top athletes. I mean, they're doing a, a ton of volume over time and they're lifting a lot of heavy weights. And so this is where I'd want, you know, Gene to really focus with that one and a half hours of training a day, five to six days a week. It's like, what can you do there that might be more in line with your goals? Like, are you really working intensely during that one and a half hours? What are the lifts? Can you do some more hypertrophy stuff? You know, a lot of people in the functional fitness space, they love those slog fests. They love the filthy 50 sweat fest boot camp, 45 minute stuff. And sure, mm-hmm. it can feel good. But sometimes you might be better off if you're really looking to add muscle mass of doing more of like a classic bodybuilder split hypertrophy stuff. Doesn't mean you can never do the the sweat fest days, but, you know, really look at your training and, and how are you maximizing that versus worrying about maximizing protein. You know, try the mm-hmm. 0.7. If that's super easy and you want to go to 0.8 or something like that. But the one just seems... I don't know. I think you're going to get better return on investment on focusing on the training more in this case, for sure. Next question is from Wes. I am a vegan and have a hard time hitting protein numbers with whole food sources. I tend to have to rely on low-carb vegan protein powders. My other common protein sources are tofu, tempeh, peanut butter, some nuts, etc. But all of these come with more fat and carbs than a lean chicken breast would. Am I missing any sources of protein I should be using? 
What are your thoughts on using protein powder to help round out the macro numbers? Usually I use the Sprouts grocery brand vegan protein. I think this is great in the sense of using protein powders, especially for vegans to help them reach their protein targets. You know, I was I hope I always talk about the fact that things aren't black and white. You know, there's no good and bad. Yes, no systems are kind of faulty. And I think protein powder is a great example of that. Like, you know, it kind of has gotten a bad rap. But like if we think about it, it's you're getting protein from it and you're getting some levels of micronutrients from it. Now, what you're not getting is kind of the water weight. That's really what differs from the steak and to some degree the micronutrients in it. But this can be good. This can be good for somebody who's having a hard time, quote, eating all of the food. You know, if somebody needs to get more nutrients in or or high level athletes who have to eat a ton of food, taking the water weight out and just having it as a protein is a a great way to do it. And I know that's not exactly Wes's question, but I just kind of wanted to, again, paint that context around protein powders that we always have to look at what the whole diet is and not just, oh, protein powders aren't as good as a steak or in this case, tempo or whatever, <laughs> tempo mm-hmm. or whatever, but, mm-hmm. you know, kind of understand how the whole diet collectively is what the person needs, not just necessarily a single food in it. So I do also like that Wes has pointed out that being vegan, what happens when you're choosing these plant-based sources? Yeah, you do spend more of your calories on carbs and fat to get that right number of protein. Every time you eat a gram of protein from plant sources, you're getting more carbs and fat than if you were eating chicken. And he sounds like he's shopped around here. I don't know the Sprouts brand. I tried to find it online in terms of the nutrition label, couldn't find the Mm -hmm. label, but it sounds like he shopped around to find one that's the higher protein, lower carb. And generally that's great. Like if you were a vegan and you have to rely on these plant sources that finding things that have a very high protein to carb or very high protein to fat ratio is, is a good place to be. And I've used, I think it's the garden of life brand, their pea protein. I used it for a while. I think it was very few carbs for like two, three grams of carbs per 25 grams of protein. So they are out there and it sounds mm-hmm. like Wes has sort of already found that. And that's great. I also don't think Wes is missing any sources. You know, he lists the tofu and the tempa and the peanut butter and the nuts and the protein powder, of course. I don't think he's really missing any key ones out there. You know, once animal sources are off the table for protein, we we don't have a ton of choices. I think where you do have choices is not necessarily the different different actual food sources, but the different brands. I have Mm. seen that, and again, I'm not a vegan food expert, but certainly when you look at different tofus or when you look at different nut milks, or when you look at different protein powders, and I've spent a ton of time on nutrition labels, like you'll see that some you can find are really great for protein and others are not so great. So I would spend your time there. Although I think Wes is fairly already dialed in on that. You can find soy milks that have a ton of sugar and you can find some, I like one at Trader Joe's that's like very high protein relative to other Mm -hmm. ones, right? So that's where I would kind of spend Wes's time is making sure that the tofus are the most optimal in terms of the protein high protein ratio, same thing with all of the foods. And that's just a good way to think, I think about your diet in general, the more that something represents a large portion of your diet, the more optimized it needs to be. Like Mm. I don't eat tofu. So me picking tofu, it like, doesn't matter. Like I have it maybe twice a year, right? Like it doesn't matter when I go to the store, if it's a really high protein one, right? Like it's just such an inconsequential inconsequential portion of my diet where for Wes having it every day, it's like, you want to spend the time and find the one that really is going to, you know, have the best ratio for you. Cool. Last question we have for this episode of quick bites is from Sandra. 
If you have a client whose goal is the standard, quote unquote, weight loss and muscle gain, it's the new name of our podcast, <laughs> weight loss and muscle gain, where do you start if they are regular drinkers? I'm talking like one to three drinks a week normally and more like five to 10 a week on vacation. 800 gram challenge plus lazy macros and then have at it or more something along the lines of if your body comp isn't changing with the approach you're using, set a ceiling for calories and as long as you're under that and or losing weight, drink whatever you want. She goes on to say, in my mind, the answer is, is just to stop drinking alcohol, but I know that that's not easy for everyone or maybe even necessary for everyone. They're pretty stubborn at the idea of drinking less than a couple drinks a week, but one has a lot of weight to lose and the other ha has a very stubborn body composition. She is definitely an efficient fat store. So neither of them are anywhere close to 800 grams of fruit and veggies. So I'll definitely start there, but I was curious what sorts of discussion you have had with people around alcohol and what have you observed with your own clients? Yeah, I mean, I think Sandra already pretty much has her answer. That's what I love it is. I think people kind of already know a lot of times yep. what to do, which is great. But yeah, if they're nowhere near the 800 gram challenge, like I would not start with trying to limit calories. I would not start trying to limit drinks. You know, people don't really work with those standards, especially when they're at the new end of the spectrum. Like as they progress, then they're like, oh, cool. I see the results. Now I'm willing to tighten the reins. Not, not in the beginning, really. Here's the other thing though. There is no way, there is no way that one to three drinks a week is the reason that somebody has a lot of weight to lose. Mm. No way, no way. Yep. You know, a glass of wine or a beer is like 120 calories and that's less than 10% of the calories that they need any given day. They can definitely fit in that volume with the 800 gram challenge with lazy macros and still have calories to spare. And in fact, if Sandra or anyone else is on Instagram under my profile, I have an example day and it's, I didn't use alcohol, but I purposely did things where I added grains. I added protein bars, calorically dense protein mm -hmm. bars. I did dairy basically to show how all of these components can fit in. And I also that day had more than 1000 grams of fruits and vegetables. And I also had 125 grams of protein at 2000 calories, which is kind of the average for females. Now, that 2000 does decrease with time with age, as we mentioned, especially after 50, that average calories is going to drop to 1800, maybe 1600, depending on some other factors. But the point is you can still fit in that glass of wine. You can still fit in the 800 gram challenge and be at the right caloric level. Mm. So if somebody has a lot of weight to lose or even stubborn body composition, it's because they're either drinking way more than that, then, you know, they might be saying, oh, it's yep. one to three drinks yep. a week, but it's way more than that. Or, and more likely, they're also having a lot of these calorically dense goodies that we've talked about processed foods in some way that they have no clue how much that they're really eating. And I think I just mentioned it, but it's so funny how taboo, like counting calories and counting macros is considered like not natural, not healthy, all of this stuff. And that's exactly how we learn why our diets aren't working. But regardless, I, I think for Sandra in the beginning, get some buy-in with the 800 gram challenge. Don't worry about the drinking see that they can actually do that, build some motivation, and then go from there. Last few things I want to say, though, about that, because the 800 gram challenge isn't perfect. Like, I love it. <laughs> it can go awry. We just <laughs> talked about loopholes, right? <laughs> In our last podcast, one of the ways that it can go awry is that check the box mentality, even of the 800 gram challenge. Like, well, I ate my fruits and veggies for the day, so now I can have the pint of ice cream, right? That's a loophole yep. and you also won't see weight loss. So be aware of yep. that, that somebody might very well may get to the 800 gram challenge, but they still have way too much of this other stuff. The second thing to be aware of is behaviors surrounding alcohol. I've heard it's, about these. Yeah. I mean, choices change when you're on your <laughs> second drink, 
choices change. How much your drinking changes when you're on the second drink. Oh, I poured five ounces. Did you? (laughs) Food choices change. Oh, it's okay. I'll have this snack. I'll have this whatever. That's a lot of it. That's a lot of it. It's not necessarily the calories in the wine. It's the choices surrounding the wine and the social event. And then the final thing I'll say is, and I've said this before, but it's very true and it's very easy to be distracted. Weight and body composition don't lie. I don't care what their app says. I don't care what the, t- the, the numbers say or how many drinks they've said they've had. Weight and body composition don't lie. If, if that's not changing, they are still eating too much relative to their needs. So keep that in mind when they're implementing the 800 gram challenge because they very well might be having 800 grams of fruits and vegetables and there is the possibility that they won't see a lot of weight loss. If they have a lot of weight loss, I think it's going to go favorably. But again, we just have to be aware of, of how it can go wrong. Okay, cool. Those are the five questions we have this episode of Quick Bites. As a reminder, the best way to get a question into a future episode of Quick Bites is to be on the Optimize Me Nutrition newsletter. What's the URL for folks to get onto the email list? If they're yeah, optimizemenutrition.com slash email. Awesome. Thank you, see As always, thanks to all our wonderful listeners. Thank you for the ratings and the reviews. And if you know somebody who might like the show, please share it with them. And we will be back soon with another episode of The Consistency Project. Hi all, EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support for the five-star ratings and the reviews and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails (laughs) weekly-ish, and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and there's also a link in the show notes.